Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. And uh, we're going to be talking about how to share the gospel uh, with somebody else, how to share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection uh, with people who don't know the Lord. And so uh, we're going to take a look at the most important message in all the world, and that is this message of sharing the gospel. And uh, how many would say, hey, there is somebody I would love to see come to know the Lord in 2020. Let me see your hand. Yeah, my hand too. And so these are just a few things that maybe just put some tools in our, in our bag that would be able to help us as uh, we try to reach uh, the lost for Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And we pray that you would uh, help us to reach others uh, to come to know you, Father. Would you help us just to step out uh, of our comfort zone and uh, to have sometimes those awkward conversations uh, with folks about their need of Christ. And would you help us as we look to the scriptures and as we look at, uh, Lord, just some practical ways how we can uh, share the gospel uh, with others. And so we're just so very grateful for who you are and uh, for what you can do. And so we just uh, certainly do ask for your guidance and your uh, leadership in our hearts and lives. And uh, we pray that you would help us and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few, but the one that is most read and commented on is the Gospel according to you. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter each day, but by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true, say, what is the Gospel according to you? Do men read his truth and his love in your life, or has yours been too full of malice and strife? Does your life speak of evil things or does it ring true? Say, what is the gospel according to you? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there is a fifth gospel, and that's really your life. And this is really some of the only gospel that maybe others may see is simply your life. And does your life really reflect uh, really what the gospel is? If you have your Bible, join me in Romans chapter 1. We're going to jump around to a few different scriptures um, and this is the very first thing that I want to uh, start out with as we talk about how we share our faith with Christ, uh, our, our faith for Christ. There are many different uh, passages that we could look at, and I just want this to be really practical and help to you. But I want you to look at Romans chapter one, and we're going to look a bit, a little bit later uh, in that chapter of Romans chapter one. And I just want to start with a very simple uh, premise uh, as we share the gospel. A lot of times that I go to churches and, and there are guys that ask me, hey, what new methods do you see that are out there that are really effective in reaching someone for Christ? 
And uh, what are the, some of the things uh, that you see that is really being used? In? And, and I certainly understand there are certain just things that are out there that are very helpful. I grew up at our church that we went to using Evangelism Explosion, EE. And maybe for some of the adults in the room, you remember that. And that was kind of a soul-winning program that we used and just a way to share the gospel. But I'm not as, in, as interested with your method and whether you follow the Romans road or whether you use this as I am with the man. And in fact, it's actually in Romans chapter two and verse 20. I want you to take a look at this. In Romans chapter two and verse 20, look at what Paul tells the church of Rome. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God, verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. I was spending some time uh, building some bridges to a professional ball player in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, baseball was his professional sport, but he liked to play basketball. And we had a church basketball league. And we thought, man, wouldn't it be great if this guy would play basketball with our church guys and uh, man, get him around other Christians and, and, uh, and show them that, you know, that, that we're kind of real guys too. And, and, uh, and maybe we could use that as a way to share Christ with them. And so he agreed to play with us. So we were all excited about that. And so the very first game, we were playing a church from across town and the point guard from the other team stole the ball from our point guard and he went on a fast break. And when he went up to make a layup, this professional baseball player who was unsaved that was playing with us, it was like a LeBron chase down. No, I don't like LeBron. I think he's a whiner and a flopper, all right? And uh, oh man, he's like coming after. You know, honestly, you know, I don't like LeBron. I cheer for, for Golden State. Steph Curry's from Charlotte. I'm from Charlotte. And, uh, and so that's kind of connection there. His cousin was in our church. And so we kind of, but you know, LeBron James seriously is probably one of the greatest ball players to ever play the game. Just an incredible athlete. And so it was like almost a LeBron chase down. This baseball player that was playing with us, he ran the length of the floor. He went up and he pinned the guy's layup on the backboard. Man, it was an awesome play. Well, in the process, the ref blew the whistle calling a foul. I didn't even think it was a foul. I just thought, man, that's part of the game. Just let him play, you know, and and so this unsaved man or, or this Christian point guard on the other team from the other church across town, he turned and looked at this unsaved professional ball player playing with us and he cursed at him. That professional baseball player has never stepped foot in church again. He said, Ron, why do I need to get saved? That guy talks just like And I want to go down to Atlanta, Georgia and grab that point guard in that other church across town by the shirt and say, do you know the damage that you did right here? They watch what you say. They watch what you do or hear what you say and watch what you do. And you know what Paul is saying? Your personal life matters. And for these people, they said, don't commit adultery, but that's what they were doing. They said, don't steal, but that's what they were doing. And so he says, listen, your personal life 
matters. Listen, you're not gonna reach the kid whose locker is five down from yours if you're jamming out on the same wicked godless music that they are. You're never gonna reach that other guy if you're looking at the same pornographic sites that he is. It doesn't work this way. You've gotta, in order to make a difference, you gotta be willing to be different. And the name of God was being blasphemed among the Gentiles. Yeah, they say they're Christians, but they live just how we do. What's the difference? If God, their God can't deliver them from their sin, then why do I need that God? And a lot of times that's what happens as they watch our life. So I would much rather take uh, somebody that is just newly saved and they know like two verses. I'd much rather, but excited to share the gospel that's, that's living for the Lord. I'd much rather have that than a guy that's been saved 30 years, that he's just a casual Christian and everything is all that. He's living like the devil, but he's got all the verses memorized. I'd much rather have the newly saved convert. I'd much rather have that. And so I'm not as much as interested about the method as I am about the man. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, you really need to be right with the Lord and walking with him. And Paul said, you know what manner of entrance I had among you? He said that we were gentle with you as a nurse uh, as a nurse deals with, with a young baby. And, and, and so he was blameless. There was no handles that they could hold on to Paul's life. They say, yeah, you preach to us this, but look what you do, Paul. They couldn't do that because his life mirrored the message of the gospel. And that's what the Bible talks about is that walking worthy of the gospel, walking worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. And so really, uh, your personal life does matter. And you walking with the Lord and confessing your sin to him. And I'd say much rather have a guy like that that knows like two verses that's reading a track because you know now the power of God can be involved and we're not grieving the spirit of God. And so your personal life does matter. It has to match the message of the gospel. But just let me just give you some practical ways uh, really how to, share, how to share the gospel. And um, you know, and I trust that uh, as you go home and as you live life, that, uh, that you'll be um, really trying to share uh, the gospel with others. And, and, uh, and just really a, a one practical way. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Would you just do that? I just want you to see this passage of Scripture uh, just for a moment. In Acts chapter 17, I'm trying to get my nose to cooperate with me. Okay, so Acts chapter 17, this is a passage of scripture where Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. And so he is dealing with uh, really a, a society and a culture that they didn't know anything about God. And this is really a good passage of scripture for us to look at because that's really the culture in which we live. I mean, you talk to people today and they're like, who's David? Who's Moses? Who, the Bible, what's that? I mean, we live in a post-Christian society. And so they don't know uh, who all these people are. And this is really what the Apostle Paul, uh, that, uh, that he was doing as he started to address these other men. But look at verse 22. And then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as they passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with his inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I, unto you. He said to God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth and dwelt not in temple made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he need anything. See, they give it to all life and breath and all things. And he goes on to talk about really our, our, uh, our creator. And so really the first thing that Paul did is he found some common ground as he prepared his listeners for the good news of the gospel. Even though he was addressing the Gentiles whose beliefs were erroneous, he didn't rebuke them for having a doctrine of devils 
And uh, neither did he present the great truth of Jesus of Nazareth as Almighty God manifest in human form right off the bat. And uh, he may have initially offended these hearers and closed the doors to the particular knowledge he wanted to convey. And so really he, he began, he, he really started uh, with, with a common um, with, a, with, a, with a common ground uh, with, with uh, these people. And so uh, he looked around and they had all these altars to all these different gods. And there was a God, uh, an altar to the unknown God. He says, hey, you got all these gods for all these different things and you have an altar to an unknown God here in case that you missed one. Well, that's the God that I'm declaring to you. So when you begin to share the gospel uh, with people, uh, just begin to talk to them. Just begin to have a regular conversation and look for some common ground that you have with, with that person. And so you can ask them about, you know, what is your faith or your, or, or your religious background? Or uh, what, is, uh, what, what is the kind of education they have? Where did you go to school? Or ask them about their family. Are you married? Do you have any kids? And, and so as I uh, uh, regularly get the opportunity to share the gospel with people, I'm looking for a common ground uh, that, we can, that we can connect on. And most of the time, we know the truth of the gospel. You know what the hard part is? It's turning the conversation to spiritual things. Could I just tell you that even as an evangelist, even as a, a pastor and a man in ministry, it never gets unawkward. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna tell them, I mean, think about this. If you're talking to someone who doesn't know the Lord, we're about to tell them about a man that lived 2,000 years ago in an obscure Middle Eastern village on the side of a mountain, and he died and he rose again, and he's been living the last 200 years, the last 2,000 years, and we talk to him today. I mean, just imagine how crazy that would sound. You know, and so uh, there never comes to a point where it never gets totally unawkward. Most of the time, most people are afraid to share the gospel because they're afraid of the other person's response. That is the number one uh, really deterrent to why we don't share the gospel. We're afraid of their response. We're afraid, first of all, that they're gonna get mad and they're gonna get angry. Please don't let someone's anger, uh, angry response deter you from ever sharing the gospel. And sometimes you may say, well, if I share the gospel with them, they're gonna get angry and they're gonna go to hell. Where are they gonna go to hell number two? They're already going there. Now, I realize that, you know, we can do things in our own spirit that we could come across the wrong way. Listen, the message of Christ is going to offend. It is, Jesus said, the world hated me and it's gonna hate you. Jesus loved people perfectly and they crucified him, right? So the message of the cross, it's an offense. It's a stumbling block uh, as the scripture talks about. And so they're gonna get angry. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner. Um, the message is going to offend, but we don't want our manner to offend. And so we want to make sure that we're speaking this truth in love and that we, uh, and, 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 but as we find some common ground, as we talk about sports, as we talk about some of these other things, we find some, we make some general uh, observations and, and really we, um, uh, and, and, uh, and we have some honest, uh, some honest conversations. 
And uh, really, as we make some, some common ground, we turn to really having an honest conversation about some things. And so notice what the Apostle Paul does in verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with one devout person in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers and the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others uh, others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached in them Jesus and this resurrection. So as Paul spent time with people, he made these general observations, he found common ground with them. Then that turned into some honest conversations. You know what, as I was in a public high school, you know, you know they would kind of tease you. Uh, oh yeah, you're the Christian. I, and they knew I wanted to go into the ministry and they thought, you know, I was gonna go to some convent somewhere, you know, and, and uh, they're like, oh yeah, you're the preacher boy. But I tell you, whenever something went wrong in their life or their parents got divorced or there was some kind of abuse or something happened, you know what, you're like the first guy they come to. And so what you wanna do is you wanna build bridges to people and you want to just spend time with them. You know, and maybe it's helpful not every time we see our, see our unsaved grandma that we're not reminding her that she's dying and going to hell and the only thing we ever say to them is something like that. It's, it's okay to build a relationship with people and a common ground. Listen, every one of you have a pulpit. Every single one of you have a pulpit. Yours just looks different than mine. And it might be on a soccer team or a football team might be at your job. It might be wherever, wherever it takes you. Every one of you have a sphere of influence. And as you have some common ground, you know what it often leads to? Some honest conversations. And when life happens and trials come, boy, it opens up the door. And we've got to be ready to step in those doors. But if you don't have a relationship with people, boy, a lot of times it doesn't happen. Can we knock on a door and witness to someone cold turkey? Yes, and we see God do that a lot of times. I'm just curious, and, and, I, and again, I'm all for that, but sometimes salvation is like an onion. It comes off a layer at a time, and we've just got to be faithful. I'm just, just curious, how many of you, you got saved the very first time you ever heard the gospel? Could I see your hand? The very first time you ever heard the gospel, you got saved, okay? There's like two of you in the room. Now, I want to encourage you that we see that all the time. There's maybe two or three in the room, but we see that all the time. People hear the gospel the first time, and they get saved, but you know what 97% of your testimony is? You heard the gospel, and you didn't receive it the first time. Maybe you had questions. Maybe you just thought, well, you know, man, this seems strange, and and, and maybe you wanted to think about it. That person came back later and they prayed for you. They came back later. You had more questions and uh, maybe you answered, they answered those questions and they prayed for you. And, and you know, but eventually over time, um, you know what? You came to know the Lord. If you're saved here in the room, you came to know the Lord and, um, and you trusted him as savior. For 97% of you, there was somebody in your life that didn't quit after the first time they gave you the gospel. In 2020, be that person to someone else. Amen. You share the gospel with them, maybe they don't accept it. Man, that's okay. You're not responsible for the fruit. That's his business. We're responsible to fervently give it out. And there's a power in the gospel. It doesn't contain the power of God, Romans says. It is the power of God. And so, uh, but we had to be faithfully giving it out. And so, you know what? Pray for them. Answer their questions. Come back. Uh, maybe it takes time. Be patient. Pray with them again. And, and uh, I remember there was, uh, sometimes it just takes years. I remember there was a man in a meeting that we were doing. Uh, 
his wife and the church had been praying for this guy for 40 years. He was 80 years old. He was like the church curmudgeon. He would sit in the back like this. He would frown the whole time. He was more lost than a goose in a blizzard. He didn't know the Lord. They had prayed for him for years. And after the Friday night service, he looked over at his wife. He goes, well, it's about time I get saved. <laughs> and he came down the aisle and trusted Christ. There were 40 years of sharing the gospel. A lot of times in our meetings, you know what we find? The people that come to our services and trust the Lord, there were Christians who had been living the gospel out in front of them and had been giving them the gospel and had been working with them and they were a part of the process. They came to the service and we just happened to have the harvest. We saw the fruit, and, but they were just as much a part of that. And so um, don't get discouraged when you share the gospel and somebody doesn't trust Christ. The devil is going to want to discourage you with that. Just be faithful. This is why the scripture says it's more of a required of a steward that he be found faithful. It didn't say fruitful because if you are faithful, you will be fruitful. But he said faithful. And just don't quit. Don't give up. There was a guy that, uh, that was lived right by a church and they had knocked on his door uh, for 18 years in a row. And he would say, listen, I don't need your meetings. I don't need that church. I don't need the gospel. And uh, the church was out again at a group of college students and they knocked on his door. This was like the 19th year in a row, but he had just been through a divorce. He lost his boat and his car. He was getting ready to lose his house. And they knocked on the door and, uh, you know, they shared the gospel with him. And that man came to know the Lord as his savior. And you know what? Today he's a, he's a deacon in a good Baptist church. And uh, praise God, they didn't stop at year 18. They just kept being faithful. They just kept sharing the gospel. They just kept being genuine, and they just kept being honest. And so as you share the gospel, uh, really, uh, with other people, um, God promises that he will convict of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so really, our, if the Spirit of God promises to convict of those things, um, why would we not include all those things in our gospel presentation? And so uh, one way that I like to share the gospel, you can never have good news unless you have the bad news. And so I always like to go back to the law of God. The Bible says that the law is our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. People are never going to appreciate a God and the, and the, uh, and the sacrifice that he made for us if they don't realize that they're in trouble and they're a sinner and they need to be forgiven. They're not, gonna, they're not gonna really appreciate a payment that was made for them unless they realize how much they owe to begin with. And so the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so this is what the law does. It shows us of our need of Christ. So as I share the gospel uh, with, with people, I like to go uh, through those 10 commandments. And uh, because you know what a lot of people say, um, you know what, the number one answer that you're going to find is they're going to say, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a good person. Okay, well, great. Well, let's find out if you really are a good person. Hey, let's take a little test. Hey, you're probably familiar with, with the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, what about commandment number one? Uh, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you always put God first place in your life? Uh, there's another commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. But how about this one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know what taking God's name in vain is? It means to use God's name for no good reason. You know, I can't tell you how many Christians I hear even do this. But hey, have you ever used God's name to express frustration or anger? 
you know, something happens, you can say, oh my, and you use God's name, or you get angry and you say the words Jesus Christ. Well, that's called blasphemy. It's a very serious sin in the sight of God. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Well, yeah, sure, I've done that many times. Well, you just stepped over a line and broke a law. God says you never should have broken. Remember, these people are saying, hey, I'm a good person. Well, what about commandment number five? Honor your father and your mother. Hey, do you always obey your parents when you were a kid? You know, people who don't believe that we're born sinners has never worked in a nursery at a church during a long-winded preacher. And I think there's great crowns in heaven for nursery workers. I really do. I believe that. And, uh, you know, there could be a hundred toys and the two kids in the nursery are fighting over the same one. Mine, mine, mine. It breaks. Yours, yours, yours. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes, you know. And, uh, but did you, just think about it. Did you ever obey your mom and dad? every time when you were a kid growing up. Well, come on, which one of us hasn't ever broken uh, uh, something that our parents told us to do or not to do? And you know what? Well, you just stepped over a line that God says you never should have crossed. What about this one? Commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Say, hang on a second, preacher. I'm okay on this one. I'm not even married. I've never committed adultery. But you know what Jesus said in the New Testament? If you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Have you ever looked, don't answer out loud, but have you ever looked on someone with lust? Now that's a different question, isn't it? And every time you ran into the pornography, every time you had your eyes on that girl and that guy and you looked on them with lust, you were, you, you were breaking, you were committing adultery in your heart. You were blowing to smithereens, commandment number seven. What about commandment number six? The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Well, I've never killed anybody, but have you ever been angry? Because Jesus said that anger was murder in the making. And it's just as if you had murdered them in your heart. Man, have you ever been angry? Paul, come on, Ron, which one of us haven't ever been angry? What about commandment number eight? Thou shalt not steal. Hey, did you ever take something that didn't belong to you? Do you have something right now in your possession that doesn't rightfully belong to you? Whether it was, doesn't matter how old you are or what age you are, whether it was a dollar out of your dad's wallet uh, or a dollar out of your mom's purse, irrespective of, your, of the value of it or your age, that made you a thief. Paul, come on, which one of us haven't ever stolen something? Well, commandment number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. The Bible says thou shalt not lie. Hey, have you ever lied? Hey, have you ever shaved the truth to put yourself in a better light to other people than you really were? Hey, did you ever leave out part of the truth that knew you would get you in trouble? Let's say you're not allowed to go to Joe's house, so you go to Frank's house for, uh, for five minutes. Then you go to Joe's house for five hours. You come home and your mom says, hey, where did you go this afternoon? Oh, oh, um, I went to Frank's house. Yeah, you went there for five minutes, but you conveniently left out part of the truth that you knew would get you in trouble. And you know what? A half-truth is a whole lie. Well, come on, Ron, which, which one of us hasn't ever told a lie before? Well, you, there's another commandment that you just broke. What about commandment number 10? Thou shalt not covet. You know what coveting is? It's wanting something that somebody else has. And it doesn't have to be a physical possession. You could say, wow, that girl is so pretty. I wish my hair was like her, or I had her eyes, or I wish I was as pretty as her. Maybe there's another guy that, that's a really good ball player, and you say, man, I wish I could play ball like that person. 
Or maybe you say, man, I wish that I had that person's family and the way that their mom and dad treats them with love. And man, I wish it was in that family. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. I wish I was as popular as they are. We start coveting. Have you ever coveted? You know what the fact is? By your own admission this afternoon, that we're a lying, stealing, adultering, covetous blasphemer at heart. And the last time I checked that, that wasn't a good person. And the scripture says there is an ally, the law of God is written in their heart. And when you share the Ten Commandments and you share the law, there is something embedded in their heart that is already there that acts as an ally. And you might say, you know what? You know what, Ron? Come on, nobody could ever live life without one time, without one time lying. Or nobody could ever live life without one time stealing or disobeying their mom and dad. Nobody could ever live life without one time lusting after somebody else. Nobody could ever live life without breaking one of those. And that's the point because the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And so really you gotta have the bad news uh, really before they have the good news and a great way to do that. The law of God is written in his heart. There's an ally we have in the heart. Just go through the 10 commandments and you know what? The spirit of God will use the law to bring them to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster bringing to Christ and using the law. The Bible says in the book of Romans that because of the law, every mouth may be stopped and everybody may become guilty before God. And so using the law, that's one of the things that I like to do and uh, using the law and really because it identifies with it and they could uh, really see uh, how, they have, how they have sinned and how they have failed. Um, how do you share the gospel uh, really, uh, to, uh, to, uh, at work. Well, the first thing is you need to be respectful to your employer and, uh, and make sure that there's always a respect there, but set a good example in your worth ethic by working as to the Lord. Listen, if you have a job and you're a slacker and you're not even being faithful in your job, you're, you're hurting your gospel presentation. You're hurting your gospel opportunities with those people at your work. So be respectful, but have a good work ethic and uh, be doing it as to the Lord and, and really do a good job at work, displaying a favorite scripture or a devotional calendar, or maybe carrying your Bible to work. You don't even have to say anything and they could begin to see a difference all right and again we ought to be careful with sharing the gospel at work because your employer is probably paying you by the hour and we've got to be careful that we're not uh doing what we want to do when we should be being paid and we should be working and doing what our employer wants us to do but very simple things bringing your bible to work or uh, displaying a favorite uh, bible passage or having a devotional calendar uh with you reading your bible during your lunch time or your break that may even prompt inquiries about your faith and so there are little things you could be doing at work. They hear the words you say and the words that you don't say. I'm telling you, they're watching you. These are all things that you can be doing, uh, really, uh, that you can be doing in, in, in that background there. And so maybe bringing some baked goods home or leaving a small gift with a note on a co-worker's desk or maybe bringing it to work and sometimes have a greater impact than a thousand eloquent sermons. We can show our faith also by our works. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel, being careful not to infringe on our boss's time. I've already talked about that, but these are little things that we can do to set up our gospel opportunities as we share the gospel uh, really with other people. And... Um, how do we share the gospel with someone who has lost a family member? 
Okay, so there's someone that their mom has died, their dad has died, and, uh, and they have a death in the family, and we want to share the gospel for, with them. Just a few things that I want to mention here. Be careful not to get the impression that God was punishing the person for his sins. That very well could be what God was doing, but you're not God, and you don't know. And so it's just probably better not to have to go in there. Whenever I preach a funeral, and I'm preaching a funeral for someone that was lost, and they died without Christ, you know, a really helpful way to deal with that is say, you know what, this certain person, they're no longer with us. They had their time to make their decision what they were gonna do with Christ, and their time is over, and there's nothing they could do about that. But what about you here today? You've got a choice now that is set before you that this person's time is done, but your time is not done, your time is right now. And so we gotta be very careful of how we share the gospel um, uh, share the gospel that way, but connect with them on similar struggles and how God used it for good, uh, maybe in your life. In 2 Corinthians 1, in chapter 3 and 4, the scripture says, you comfort us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves were comforted of God. Hey, you know what? Two years ago, my dad died. And uh, you know, I know exactly how you feel. And man, let me tell you who he is. The same grace that God comforted you, you're able to share with other people. And so as we, uh, as we, as we uh, uh, deal with that, um, and then gently turn the conversation away from the person who died to the person who still is living. And uh, then Paul said in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. Uh, the God of, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And you know what Paul did? He started to go through these passages of scripture. He says there's one creator. And, uh, and he dealt with there's a God that created everything. And, um, and so as we deal with people who have lost family members, um, really take the opportunity to go through the spiritual nature of God's law. Someone who's lost a loved one, often begins to ask soul-searching questions about God, death, and eternity. Many people are, are hard-hearted, and it takes a tragedy sometimes to get them receptive to God. And so uh, really just uh, uh, be mindful of that. That may give you an opportunity to share the gospel. How should we witness to someone who belongs to maybe a church that you suspect doesn't preach the gospel or they're not trusting the Savior? Really, the most effective way to speak about the issues of eternity to a religious person is not to get sidetracked from the essentials of salvation. Because a lot of times they'll want to argue some down some rabbit trail, but we got to bring them back to the gospel. And they want to talk about some of the differences between some of these, uh, some of these, uh, some of these other churches. Maybe they want to talk about, about infant baptism or transubstantiation, and that's uh, just all these other things. However, it's, it's wise to build the point of arguments between the Bible and the person, uh, such as the virgin birth, the cross, and, the, and, the, uh, and some of those things that are really connected to that uh, uh, to the gospel. But the very next thing, and those things will come later that we could deal with them. But you know the next thing that Paul did is he exposed their sin. In verse 25, it says, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things that hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from any one of us. 
And it talks about in verse 28, for in him we move and have our being, and certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone or graven by uh, art and man's devices, and that the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all man everywhere to, uh, to repent. So really what he did there is that he exposed them uh, he exposed their sin. So as we share the gospel, we find some common ground. We just begin to talk with people, and you know, a lot of times that leads to really an honest conversation about life and just about what's going on. And maybe they had a loss of a family member, or something happened, and and as we begin to share the gospel with them, um, uh, really we we expose them of their sin. We use those ten commandments. But notice what he also did. He warned of judgment. In verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And it says, and at the times of ignorance, God wink, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so he told them that there was judgment to come. This is the part of the news that we don't like sharing, but it really is essential to sharing the gospel that we got to have the bad news before you have the good news. So as we share those 10 commandments, also we have to share the passages that warn them that there is judgment to come. Just a few thoughts uh, really about how uh, we should uh, share the gospel sometimes with people who are atheists. Atheism is defined as not having a God belief. This is important to remember because it's not that the atheist doesn't believe in God because that statement opens the possibility that God or supreme being exists. The atheist worldview is driven by pure rational reason and the scientific method. The result of this is that most atheists hold the theory of evolution to be true. They reject the possibility of the spiritual world in an afterlife. Most surveys show that around 15% of Americans would call themselves atheist. Here are some questions you can ask. What makes you most excited about being an atheist? You ever feel judged by others for rejecting the existence of God? If so, how does that make you feel? Have you ever been mocked or rejected for being an atheist by those who claim to be Christians? Have you chosen to not believe in the existence of God? Are you willing to go wherever the evidence leads, whether or not it supports your worldview that there is no God? Some in the scientific world have concluded that evidence like this specified complexity of DNA and the fine-tuned universe point toward an intelligent designer. Do you think it's theoretically possible that there was a designer behind the universe that we inhabit? Other questions. Have you ever considered the possibility that you could be wrong about the existence of God? What might be the consequences be if you are wrong? Do you think there's a difference between religion and relationship? Why or why not? Has anyone ever explained the gospel to you? And so we can begin to ask some of these questions. And man, when you listen to those questions, that's going to open up maybe a world of discussion with people. Don't be afraid to engage them. If they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, you know what you say? Hey, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to get back to you on that. And they see an honest conversation. It is much better to respond that way than to pretend like you have all the answers and maybe give misinformation. And that's not going to be really credible in their mind. Uh, areas that you can admire. Uh, maybe you can admire their commitment to reason and logic or their willingness to wrestle through tough questions or uh, belief that no one person has all the answers or courage in facing life and its hardships. Well, you know, uh, and so as we go through that, but the first thing we need to ask an atheist is, do you really seek to discover the truth, even if it costs you your reputation 
or even your friends. If the answer is no, then realize that they're not willing to go where the evidence leads. You won't be having an honest intellectual dialogue, but your conversation may still have a spiritual impact. And so really when they say, no, I'm not really willing to go where the evidence leads. Now what they're saying is, I don't care what reason is going to say. All the apologetics, uh, you know what, it really is going to be pointless, but you still have a conversation with them because you can still have a spiritual impact on them. Don't get dragged into our arguments about what God did or he didn't do. Focus on the evidence that Christ existed on the cross and came back from the dead, as well as your personal testimony can be a powerful tool because it's very difficult to disprove uh, really a personal testimony and uh, because there was a lasting change that Christ has brought to your own life. And, um, and so a lot of times the ways that you share the gospel with a family member is turn the guns on yourself hey, I realized that, man, I had broken God's law. I was taking God's name in vain, or I was, uh, I was uh, stealing, or I wasn't being obedient to my mom and dad, and, and God really convicted me about that. I realized that I broke God's law and, uh, and that I was gonna go to hell for the rest of eternity. Now what you're doing is you're turning the guns on yourself. Now the person doesn't feel attacked. Now they're listening to your testimony. You can't argue with the personal change that Christ has made in your life, and you're beginning to describe that to them. And so turn the guns on yourself. Take out all of the religious jargon as you share the gospel with other people. Hey, well, Christ is your propitiation. Well, that's a $50 church word. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. You know what that means? Christ was your substitute. Just use real words that they can understand. They don't understand a lot of the words that the Bible uses. And so take some of those big, huge words that may be a stumbling block and that they may, that they may not uh, understand as you share the gospel uh, with some of those, with some of those uh, uh, family members. Um, so as Paul shared the gospel, um, how do we do this really to Muslims? How do we share the gospel with those of the Islamic faith? Just uh, three things I want you to think about. There are three main areas of common ground upon which Christians may stand with Muslims, and we can use that. Now, they don't believe the gospel, but we can use that really to spring forth. There is one God that was a creator of all things. Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, and the Muslims also respect Moses as a prophet of God. And so these are jumping off points, because uh, really the Bible makes it clear, and he shall send Jesus Christ. For Moses truly said to the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up to you of your brethren, like to me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say to you. You know, the Quran says, Behold, the angel said, O Mary, Allah giveth you glad tidings of a word, word for him. His name will be Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, held in honor this world and thereafter, and the company of those that are there nearest to Allah. That's Surah 345. And again, I could read some other passages here. And really, they believe that Jesus was a good prophet. Well, he claimed to be God. Well, if he's not God, then you can't be a good prophet. So how do you deal with that? And so as you, so there are some common grounds that, and Again, whole books have been written on this that you could dive into. But what I want you to see is there is some common ground that you could work off with a Muslim. Hey, there's one God. He's the creator of all things. His name is Jehovah. His name is, the, is Elohim. He's the God of the Bible. And uh, you got the one part, right, that there's one God. But you know what? It's, it's, it's Jehovah. And so we could use those things really to share the gospel uh, with them. And again, be willing, uh, be willing to have... Uh, uh, conversations with them. 
And uh, some of the stakes we made were not understanding the seriousness of religion in Islamic context, not being willing to take on the responsibility of discipling a convert from Islam, uh, not knowing about Islam itself. Uh, those are all things that uh, really, those are things that we can learn uh, really to, uh, really uh, that we can help prepare ourselves. And so we ought to always be ready to give an answer that lies within us. But notice at the end of this passage, as you share the gospel, whether you use the Romans road, it's your personal testimony. You use the Ten Commandments. You're just having honest conversations with people. You're building relationships with them. Notice the response to the gospel. And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Okay, so there were some who rejected. Could I ask you a question? Did everybody that Christ shared the gospel with, did, did they get saved? So don't hold your standard, yourself to a higher standard than Christ did. Listen, we share the gospel. We're not the ones who bring the fruit. This is the Apostle Paul. There were some that rejected. And there's going to be some that are going to reject Jesus Christ as you share the gospel with them. Others said, we will hear thee again on the matter. This is what they told Paul. There were some that rejected too. There were some that were reluctant. Well, I don't know. This all sounds crazy. Yeah, you get saved, then they dip you under all this water and then ask you for 10% of everything you make. I don't really know about that, you know, and, and, and maybe they're reluctant, but you know what? Now you can come back and have another conversation again and you could share the gospel again. But notice what it says here. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed and others with them. There were some who rejected there were some who were reluctant, but there were some who repented. And could I just encourage you as you share the gospel with people and as you just be honest and, and share where God has changed you and you use these 10 commandments, listen, as you share the gospel, there are gonna be some who reject. Don't let that discourage you from keep, keeping going. There are others who are gonna be reluctant. You know what? It's gonna be an ongoing thing. Live the gospel in front of them and, uh, and continue to share that gospel and, um, you know, but praise God, there are others who are going to repent and there are others that will trust the Lord and, uh, and they will be saved as they watch your life. And there will be others who will really come to know him. And so uh, God is the one who gives the fruit. God is the one who gives that increase. And, um, and we just encourage you just to be faithful, just to share the gospel and for you just to let uh, <clears throat> people know who he is and realize that God is the one who brings the fruit of all of this and uh, that we just need to be faithful in really what God has called us to do. And, uh, and as you do that, um, uh, God will do some great things and you begin to see some things that you've never really seen before. And let me just encourage you, just even pray and make a list of 10 people. These are people that I wanna share the gospel with in 2020 and just begin to pray that God would open up doors, build some bridges to them. And man, you might be amazed at just how God will step in. And now you can begin this process.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast. Thank you.